let me tell you a little secret, sweetheart. You might think you're a prostitute, but you're not a prostitute. And let me tell you something. Prostitutes are one of the strongest women God has ever created. Because the things we have to endure, the spiritual and the physical manifestation. But once you're delivered, the power and the authority that is imparted to you through God is something magnificent. Jesus loves you. He loves you dearly from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And when you are weak, his strength is made the strongest in you. He will empower you and give you the wisdom and courage. And you will walk in your purpose according to his will. Hey, listeners. Welcome to Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Rowland. You're going to get to hear true sex trafficking crime stories. These are stories that maybe never made to headlines. Maybe they weren't believed. And you're going to get to hear from survivors themselves tell the truths of sex trafficking. Join us. And remember, listener discretion is advised. We understand the the greatness about our community, and we know the struggles of our community. And I think that that is something to be excited for when we can come together and share stories like ours and be a voice for those who need us. You are worthy, you know, and you are. You're precious, you know, you're beautiful. And in spite of what you're going through or what you've gone through, it does not determine who you are going to be in the future. It's just being able to tell my story to that one person who can relate or that one person who believes me. All that mess you went through, there's a message in there and there's a message of hope and transparency and freedom for somebody else. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your freedom is in your mouth and it's the key to somebody else's chains. You matter and your story matters always. You're you're taking the voices of the unheard and you're letting them be heard in a very safe space. Hey, beautiful, it's Vic. Hello, hello. But how are you feeling today? Um, I'm okay. You know, yeah. just dealing with the typical mother stuff that yeah, <laughs> and the eight-year-old and one on the way, so. Yes, wow, mama, that's amazing. They are adorably handsome. <sighs> and are you, do you know the, the gender of the other? Not like it matters, but I've seen your twins and they are just so handsome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's a girl this time, finally. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's funny you say finally too because my sister I mean she was she popped out three girls and they wanted a boy so bad but the fourth was a girl yeah (laughs) Uh, and then one of theirs are one of theirs is um expecting now and she just got the gender and it's a girl so they're like wow we can't even have a boy grandchild I said well it's not too late you still got other girls um yeah That's exciting, though. It is, you, you know. know uh, it's a different pregnancy, that's for sure. Um, just, yeah. you know, and getting ready because I'm five and a half months pregnant. And, you know, these last, the last trimester goes faster than I, faster than you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yes. The, about this time you get kind of anxious, you know, you're like, okay, I'm tired of being pregnant. But then the same token, it's like... Am I really ready to wake up every two hours? <laughs> I mean, not that I don't already wake up because of the twins, right. you know, but it's a little different wake up, you know, at least I get to sleep four or five hours at a time. Mm. You know, it's mommy's duties and it's a girl. So um, I've been kind of going a little crazy with her, but it's the only girl I have. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And unfortunately, you know, it's COVID, but, you know, I'm sure that you're also preparing for that. Well, 
you know, with, I, I don't really hang out with a whole bunch of people and deal with so many people. Um, mm-hmm. And, and with the whole COVID too, you know, that's why I was getting everything done. Cause you know, it's not the same way you can have a typical baby shower and, know. you know, everything's a little different, but me personally, I kind of like to um, just have everything done myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, you are, the woman that we always talk about, right? You get things done. You are a proud mother and wife, right? You you not recently got married, no, but I've been married for it will be twelve years in August. Oh my goodness! Wow, twelve years. So yeah, that kind of brings us to this journey of your story and your ability now to just be in a good space to con- you know to share it and share all the truths that come along with your journey, because I know you have so much to say and how it's just such a different, not just a different marriage, but your husband, you know, and you, he's with you in this journey and he has been. Yes. Um, Yes. My story is a little bit different um, than the typical. It's very unusual and unique, but hey, I look at it like this. God doesn't like the same that's why we're all different and unique so I look at it at that perspective um I think we need to break it down when it comes Mm -hmm. to human trafficking and prostitution because I tell people I'm a survivor of human trafficking and prostitution and the reason why I say it like that is because human trafficking is more exploitation of children um, that's being forced into the lifestyle of the sex industry. And then um, I feel prostitution is when you are forced into it as a child, but then you continue it as an adult. So you still have some of that psychological um, brainwashing going on. So um, that's why I say I'm a survivor of prostitution and human trafficking. Yes, yes. And I know your story is so complex that you've developed the, and you're developing too, you're perfecting it, not developing, you're perfecting how you're going to be able to share this story because it is different. And because there's so many truths that need to be told as part of your story. And that is, you know, and some people think about it. I don't know if you think about it this way, but some people say, you know, that's why you experienced it so that you can shed light on it and that you can be able to tell the story after you survived it. And that's why I'm so honored to be in this space with you. Finally, because I've heard it in so many different spaces that I am so honored to finally have you in this space where we could just be so real from the, you know, from me just seeing your beautiful picture and your race and ethnicity to the complexities of your journey and the sex trafficking part of it and the prostitution part of it. And you even said it, forced prostitution is different too. And not a lot of people understand that and how that's different from a life of choosing sex work and being, you know, and and those different complexities. So I am giving you this space, Jessica, because I've been so immersed in your story and I'm just here to give you that. And I also am probably going to mute myself because I I tend to interject with my what, you know, but I'm going to save my questions. And plus I have my freaking puppy here, my dog who's snoring in the background. (laughs) So I'm going to give you the floor in all of its glory, Jessica. And if you could just start from wherever you'd like to share and, and speak those truths. Well, I'm a 33-year-old married woman now with three boys and a blessing with a baby girl on the way. But the story all happened by home. Everything started from home. My father had, continues to have a pornography addiction. He commits a lot of adultery. And as a child, being raised only by my father, not my mother, because I come from an interracial family. My dad is from Trinidad and Tobago, and my mom is full Japanese. So there's a little bit of conflict with that, um, with my mom's culture and my dad and just all that scenario. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, grew up 
on the black side of my family. So things was different as a child. You know, I was bullied in school because I didn't really fit in because I was different. You know, I had these little tight eyes back then and these little curly ringlets and little darker skin. And I, I didn't know where I fit. I was very confused, you know, even though it was biracial. But growing up, kids don't look at like that. Kids can be very, very mean. So I learned to kind of isolate myself from small, from bullying. And then as I grew from a child to a teenager, <laughs> that's when things started to get really, really dark amongst my father and I. My dad never was the type to give love. So tell you you're pretty or you're beautiful or you're going to grow up to be an amazing young woman and wife. And, you know, it was none of that. It was just straight bashing my father has always told me that I pretty much would be a prostitute and a slut and a whore. So he spoke those things over me. And um, as people will say, you know, I'm a bit feisty. And I don't think it's just so much feisty. I think it's just more of I've learned to use my words to defend myself. It became a tactic, a defense mechanism over time. As a child, especially at 14, you start to realize some things. Some things just doesn't add up. Your father's married, but you see him talking to other women or he's watching pornography. Uh, sex was like watching a comedy show in my household, as sad as it sounds, but it's true. I was three years old when I watched my dad have sex with another woman. I can remember another time on a cruise. We was on a carnival cruise. My dad had sexual intercourse with my stepmom and my brother and I was there. So sex was always around, whether watching it, seeing it on the computer, internet. It was always that type of aura around the household. Um, and as you go into middle school, your eyes are open more because you learn about sex ed. You learn about these things, things that's not right at school, but then you go home, it's completely the opposite. So that's what a lot of the confusion came in. I was 14 years old and lived in Atlanta, and my father pretty much lied and brainwashed or tried to brainwash me with my mother, saying that my mother, my biological mother, didn't care. Um, she would never write us birthdays, Christmases, or anything like that. So one day, um, I decided to stay home from my father going to the gym and my stepmom and them going to the gym to go work out. I stayed. Some told me to stay home, and as I did, I found a whole bunch of letters in my father's closet. Um, I was one of those kids you can't tell me don't do something, and I'm gonna do exactly the opposite. I want to know why. What are you hiding? What's the secrecy? Um, and I understood why. And I think that's when the rage and hatred towards my father began because I found out one or two hundreds, thousands of letters from my mother writing my brother and I over Christmases and birthdays. And I think that's when my eyes was truly open, like, okay, you lied to me about my mother. What else are you lying about? What else secrets do you have? So the verbal, the emotional, and eventually one day he did grope on me, touch my breasts. Um, he was watching pornography. Uh, I was doing laundry and I was in a sports bra on my shorts because obviously I didn't have any clothes. So my father tells me to come downstairs. And before he tells me to come downstairs, you know, I hear moaning and I don't understand what it is. So as I look, down the stairs and I look into a diagonally you can see his computer room and I'm seeing him watching things that I'm like ew gross because I don't quite understand but then I also realized after a couple of days what was what he was watching um so as he calls me down says Jessica come downstairs your clothes is ready so I said okay I'm coming and as I'm coming down the stairs there's nobody in the house just me and my father um he gropes on me Remind you, my father doesn't tell me that he loves us. There's no affection that you see from a parent to a child. There was none of that in the household. So when my father told me to come downstairs and I came, he's saying, you know, you're my little princess and you know, daddy loves you. And, you know, and of course, 
at 14, I'm thinking to myself, what's going on? There's, you never tell us you love me. When did I become your princess? You just got done calling me a slut the other day. Like, what's going on? Because I'm not saying anything. I'm just thinking these thoughts. Like, Because, you know, you're kind of fearful because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, what's going on? So as he's telling me these things, he's groping on me. And, of course, I can see his penis on hard at the back of my butt. But unfortunately, my brother walked barges into the front door of course he stops and I went about my business and I thought and thoughts yeah that's what I say all the time if had he not come in what would have happened um so that brought a lot of friction between my father and I and he moved us from Atlanta to Georgia I mean Atlanta to Hawaii sorry we was already living in Georgia he wanted me to supposedly get in touch with my Japanese side after all these years. <laughs> and then I went to Hawaii and I got bullied. I got jumped really bad because, you know, you have an Asian girl talking real country, Southern accent, you know, it's where I grew up. So they're looking at me. Like, yeah. You know, because local people in Hawaii, they don't, they speak really broken mm-hmm. pigeon mm-hmm. English, you know, mm-hmm. things like, Hey, yeah. bro, we go beach. You like plate lunch. You know, they talk like that. You know, I know how to adapt, but I looked at local. I looked Hawaiian. I looked Asian until I spoke and they looked at me different. And that's when I got picked on. Oh, you're a mainland, you're a mainland chick. You go back. Mm-hmm. How is it? You know, how is it you look like mm-hmm. us and you're not one of us and, and all just just horrible things, you know? Um, and I got jumped and, and in the classroom in the middle of history class. I went to Hawaii Kai. I lived in Hawaii Kai, went to Kaiser High School, and then eventually transferred, eventually transferred to um I'm the one that sued. My dad did, I didn't. He shipped me off and oh. Yeah, I'm the one that changed the rules publicly when it came to bullying. That was me. Um wow. Kaiser High School. Uh I, knew about the bullying and didn't do anything about it and then when it did happen and I felt this discernment that something was going to happen to me and I got jumped by six local big girls and luckily the desk fell on top of me to where they couldn't bash my face and things like that my ribs and legs were severely bruised but after that, I called my father. My father said, don't talk to anybody. We're going to have an attorney. We're calling the police. And that's what happened. And then he sued them. But I wasn't there for that. My father shipped me off to Toronto, Canada, because I was scared. Wow. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, your fears of retaliation. But at that point, had you made any connections with the Japanese side of your family, which he was expecting? No. My mom lives, wow. my mom lives in Tokyo, Japan. Mm-mm-mm. She's a, she left Hawaii when I was five years old. But see, when you're brainwashed by your father and you live with a narcissist, mm-hmm. that's what happens, mm-hmm. you know, until you get older. Um, and then from there, he was let my grandmother, which is his mom, have guardianship with me. But he was telling me one thing, telling my grandmother another thing. And it, it just was to the point where. My dad has an issue with power and control. Um, he's a captain for American mm-hmm. Airlines, so he put us on this persona like everything is happy, honky doy, great, peaceful, lovey dovey family. But really, behind the closed door, it's the disaster, dysfunctional, hatred, rageful, bitter family. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and and it sounds like earlier the grooming didn't work for him because he tried to expose you to all this pornography the sex around you try to degrade you and groom you into your this thought that you weren't going to be anything but this sexual object where he seemingly viewed women as anyway um and then he'd sound like he didn't expose empowering women or any women around you that could have led you into a better you know life so absolutely at this point we all can hear how controlling and um his failure to groom you wasn't working in a way um and grandma she's the one who lived in toronto canada yes which is my dad's Mm. and she said to my father let me take jessica before something bad else happens 
Let me keep her. Let me let, let her finish high school. Let her finish school here. She'll do better off here. It's a melting pot, which Toronto, Canada is. You've got everybody in the world there. <laughs> um, so there wouldn't have been no type of bullying or racial or anything like that because everybody is different, you know. Um, but my dad wanted that power and control. Um, and I think a lot of it is, too, because... I look so much like my mom in her younger days. And I think my father was still hurt by my mom leaving. And I didn't know until years later that my dad met my mom in Okinawa, Japan. And my mom was a dancer or whatever they do down in Okinawa. Uh, right, right. You know, we most people that are in the services know exactly what Okinawa is all about. And that's how he met my mom. So come to think about it, either way, whether it was in the Japanese or by my dad's side, either way, I still ended up in the sex industry because now that I'm now that I've come to the Lord, I see things differently. Um, it took me a long time. I was 10 years trapped into this lifestyle. Um, 16 and 19, I was trafficked in from city to state. And then once that pimp went in, the police here took me to my dad's house. But because I didn't fit into the classification of my dad's lifestyle, what are you going to tell somebody? Oh, by the way, my my daughter that was just trafficked all over the city by a pimp is back in our lives. You know, that didn't sound right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't this mm -hmm. perfection family ordeal. So, so I pretty much got fed back to the wolves. I was pregnant by this pips, which was a daughter, but people don't understand that I've been raped by a John and by my pimp. And absolutely. That was rape from day one, you know, absolutely. I tell people all the time, I said, you know, it's like to be paid and raped and have no control and absolute powerless. And that's exactly how I feel about the lifestyle. Then, you know, from 16 and 19, I, it was a survival turn, learn the streets, learn the ropes to keep myself alive. From 19 and pregnant with this pimp's baby, I knew I had to get rid of it. Even though I took care of her and nursed her for four months, I looked at it as it's not her fault and it's not my fault. But I knew that I wasn't going to keep that baby because she came from a pimp while her brother came from a John. And you're going to tell these kids, oh, by the way, you're here because your baby sister's daddy was pimping on your mommy while... I was a kid and you was in my tummy and I had you on the track while I got paid five, five to $800 on the track because my water broke and I got taken to the hospital because I was going into labor. Didn't even know that. And your sister is the pimp's daddy, you know, like it just sounds so twisted and dysfunctional and disgusted. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't do it. So I gave them up for adoption. And though people love throwing it in my face, well, you had two other kids. I had them, but people don't understand that there was no connection. There was no, the way I feel with my kids now is not the same that I did with those two. And I think a lot of people right. can't grasp but They think that once you're a mother and you have a baby and you feel it kicking, I think the Lord literally made it to where I didn't really feel them moving inside of me because he already knew what was going to plan. He knew the plan. He knew what was going to happen without me even knowing. So I think that these pregnancies that I've had with my husband's different because it's love there and my life mm -hmm. has changed and it's totally different. Mm -hmm. People don't understand that when you have a child, I don't like to use the word mistake. But it kind of was, you wasn't supposed to, it wasn't out of love. It was because I was forced into a lifestyle. The pimp forced himself on me. I was just, what, what am I going to do? You know, so at that time I gave them up for adoption. Unless somebody else did it. I did a closed adoption because 
Mm-hmm. I didn't want anything to do with them. I mean, I'm just going to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. It's very common. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's common. It's more common than people actually understand and, and believe. I, I just, there mm-hmm. was no mother, daughter, mother, son connection. It was like, Oh my gosh. All I could think about was, well, my dad said I was going to be a prostitute. Oh, I'm a prostitute. Now I've got kids, two kids before I'm 19. You know, that happened. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm never going to have kids until I get married. And I didn't think I was ever going to get married because who's going to want to marry a prostitute? You know, 19 years old, had this child. And then here comes this man in my life. I met him off a chat line. I wasn't looking for a boyfriend or a husband or, I was just just mingling, you know, just just trying to figure out who Jessica was and what am I going to do with my life and wh- what happened. But, you know, when my dad pretty much put me back out in the streets, it's like, you know, there's no room for you and your baby. What? OK, well, whatever. I went about my business and I said to myself, after I have this baby, I'm going to figure it out, do what I got to do. But then you end up back in a lifestyle because you don't have opportunities and you don't have the proper victim assistant program that they claim to be there to support you and alimony and, or, or victim compensation, whatever they want to call it. You know, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. is the programs really for the victims? Are the system there truly want to help people out, you know, because why did it take a man who was a two time felony got out of prison and helped this prostitute out of her lifestyle? Mm. You know, it, it gets really deep because even though I was living a lifestyle that was mm-hmm. sinful and wrong mm. and morally wrong and the in, in the Christian's eyes or God's views or people's morals and their views in the world, either way, did nobody ever look or say, well, why is she prostituting as pretty as she is? Why is she doing this? Why is she risking her life? Nobody cared. But it took a man that I met off of a chat line seeing me didn't question what I did. Well, you couldn't question because I was telling him lies. (laughs) And then eventually once she figured it out, he married me. He still stayed. He stayed. Um, Mm -hmm. He's been been crucified Mm -hmm. a lot, you know, by his mother. He's lost a lot of relationship. My mother-in-law doesn't like me. He he lost a lot of relationships because people can't understand. Well, why would you marry a prostitute and then have kids with her? on top of it but he didn't see me as a prostitute because I wasn't prostituting when I met him exactly exactly and at the same time you were still a child who was already being sex trafficked and you stayed in the life like those are just so many different contexts that a lot of people don't see in that in that way and then I got I think I once my dad had pretty much kicked me out left me to the I always like to say fed me to the wolves because that's how I felt. Like you just, I was a piece of meat and you give it a whole bunch of pack of wolves and they just, you know, that's how mm-hmm. I felt. Mm-hmm. So once I realized the power and control that I had in between my legs over men, it was like I became the new age Cleopatra. I became the new age Jezebel. I became the new seductive, powerful woman in that lifestyle. Like I'll put myself out there to the point where the whole city knows that I was a prostitute. But then they also know too that I went from prostitution to I changed my whole life. And I get questioned, how did you do that? Well, sometimes it's not about always you. I've had to learn that even though I knew of God, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. He predestined my life. He knew the end before the beginning and the beginning before the end. And even though I lived a life of prostitution, God still had favor over me. He still loved me. He wept when I was bruised and left in puddles from being beaten down by my pimp handles, you know, those big candles that have three, four wicks in it, had those thrown in my face and 
I have a permanent dislocation in my right jaw, TMJ, from him beating on me so much. It would mm. never go away. It continues to click. It, it's just, that's just how it is. I've got scars and stab wounds from him, you know, and, and I think I had to realize that my brain is not in between my legs. And, and at that time, you were mentioning that that's the time when you felt like or it seemed like you had control because you were for a while it did because mm-hmm, this is the thing mm-hmm. when God in the, in the scripture says God anoints you and chooses you before you were ever placed into your mother's womb do people understand how deep that is God knew you before you was even a thought to your parents God knew you before you was even gonna be consider conception in the woman's womb you know so for him to know and plan your life out and know he allows certain sins to happen he allows certain sins to happen because it draws us closer to God it did for me God gave me a man of God even though he made his own choices but God gave him to me to love me, to show me my worth, to show that I'm smart, to show that I'm special, to show that I don't have to do that. See, people don't understand that behind the scenes, my husband didn't like what I was doing, just like God doesn't like the sin, but he loves the sinner. And it's the same way. My husband didn't like me on behavior, but he didn't make me stop. He planted seeds and I didn't want to hear it. But even those those seeds was planted, some got watered and some sprouted. And my husband would take my phone, take my laptop, tell me, what would you do if Craigslist is going to be gone? Next, you know, Craigslist was gone. What are you going to do when Backpage is gone? Next, you know, Backpage was gone. I started to think this dude was really strange. Like, how do you know, like some, you were putting a curse on my money, my lifestyle. And, and, and you know, he'd be like, well, where's your parents? Where's your family? What? I don't believe you don't have family. But I used to be a pathological liar because I was so fearful of my own self because of my own pain. I didn't want nobody to know I was pain and hurt and take advantage of me because the first guy did it already. And so... I, got, I, I guarded my heart, but I guarded it in a wrong, wicked way. You know, it was wicked towards people, mean towards people, manipulated people. I didn't trust people. I didn't care. It was very self-centered, boastful, conceited. It was all about me. It got to the point where demons was manifesting in me, and I created this whole other persona that wasn't even me. You know, I took the name Mahalani Banks, Mahalani, you know, my dad thinks I'm sick, but that was the last female that my dad talked to wow. cheating. With and I said, you know what? I'm so sick of this man claiming to be a man of God, but he's already got this, this woman here, this woman there. And there was a girl named Mahaya in Hawaii. So Hawaii kind of left a little bad taste. I love Hawaii. I love Waikiki Beach. I love Sandy Beach. I love going to Ala Moana Mall. I love the plate lunches and spam musubi and going to all the Japanese stores. But as to live in certain things mm-hmm. and going to the Kalama Mall, certain things just mm-hmm. left a bad taste for me because right. of what I went through. Everything you know? in paradise, right. Even for the locals here, everything is in paradise, you know? And that's why I always, I joke around when people be like, oh, aloha. And I'll be like, aloha what? Aloha where? <laughs> I said, let me tell you something one time because them local people only want you for your money to come and tour us. I said, they don't like you white folks. They call you howlies. And they said, really? I said, <laughs> I live there. I got jumped. Explain how did that happen? Well, why? Well, because I was different. I came from the mainland. They make fun of kids from the mainland. But last time I checked, it was part of the United States. You know, these are the stuff I, I, I endured as a as a high school there. You know, when people talk about, oh, you went to Kaiser? Yeah, you're the one that got. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was me. I don't talk mm-hmm. about it because it's it's still painful because why? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be aloha, sweet, loving mm-hmm. family, you know, ohana type of state but how did I get jumped how did I get bullied how did I get hurt why is there even a lawsuit why is there different laws and change because things need to change you know but at the same token too I went through the pain and trauma 
while my dad reaped the rewards mm. of my pain. Goodness. He should have put that money for me for college or something else. But you take it and you splurge it on your women. So I took the name Mahaya and I looked it up and it said the real name was Mahaya Lani. And I said, Mahaya Lani, I like that. Okay. So I came up with the prostitute named Mahaya Lani Banks. And boy, that girl did make a lot of money. <laughs> boy, did she have a lot of funny, cold, wicked ways. But you know what? At that time, I didn't care. I was a stripper. I did webcamming. I did massages. I did fetishes. I did dominatrix. I did anything that made money. I put myself out there because I didn't have a pimp. You know, my, my, uh, I mean, I'm gonna get a little blunt, but it's the truth. And I want people to hear the truth, whether it, to them they think it's vulgar or blunt, but they need to hear it from a true prostitute right, that lived right, it. Right, right, I used to always battle with the pimps, you know, because it'd be like, you're a pimp but you're a king on the chessboard while I'm the queen and I can go diagonal forward, backwards, up and down. You can only move one piece. So therefore who's the dangerous piece in the game? The queen is. So pimps wanted me on their team, but I said, what do I look like having you pimp on me when the product is me in between my legs and pussy is my product? Where do you come in? Because pimps would say, Put it in my pocket. Why would I put it in your pocket for? The psychological game behind the pimps and prostitutes is just sickening to me now. You know, because it's like you have these girls calling these pimps daddy or these Johns having these prostitutes play out to be little girls and calling them daddy. Oh, my daddy went to the store and bought me my Louis Vuitton bag. No, you did. Your life did. Your What's in between your legs did. What you had to do with these men did. Not that pimp. What did he do? And that's how I put myself out there. I would battle on social media with pimps and prostitutes. Be like, you're stupid. You're going to pay this man to be with a, a, a flock of women that's all paying him you're all fighting for a position you're all claiming it's team and a family but is it is it if the pimp was there to protect you why are there prostitutes dying and they could never answer mm, 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 they could mm. never answer me if you if you pay your pimp for protection why is prostitutes dying where's your pimp mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but see this is the thing my husband wasn't a pimp but I had to portray as he was. They said that pimps say that they're married to the game. Well, I really was married in, in the game. I was married, but prostituting. You know, so they got, you know, they got confused mm -hmm. because pimps and prostitutes didn't like me because they, they was like, well, you, you're a renegade. You really don't have a pimp. Well, I had one and I will never have one. Not for them to beat daylights out of me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not for them to stab me, cut me, control my money. I'm risking my life. Oh, no, 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 no. So I had a different mindset. Even though I had my husband, he was eventually. God told him to marry me and he started to be in. He started to protect me by telling me, do something else. Don't do that. Quit doing this. Stop. Da, da, da. Now, I would always say that when the trans transformation happened with God was when my husband and I got married a couple years later I was 25 and I had our first son Matthew and I still was still prostituting and I was going to Mount Hood to get my nursing and then I was also working as a caregiver but I came short one time on the rent and I panicked you know living a lifestyle of prostitute you live off of impulses and sometimes that carries on to your transformation life. So I called my father desperate. Can you help me? I have a child. I don't want to be homeless. I'm doing good. Can you just help me one time? I just need $500. What's $500 to a captain that makes over how much a month? You know, your daughter's begging and asking for help. But you know what's going to tell me? Go do what you know how to do best. Click.
it's so hard if I may say that this is, you know, people don't hear this part of it is when you're trying, right? And you're doing stuff and then you get to this moment where you're continually degraded and brought back down and they wonder why it's so easy for the thought to go back into the life, to go back into the game and how it's so easy to do that. Even if you have a strong man beside you or even if you know that you, you're you trying to do this you know, square life or whatnot and these PTSD incidences can happen at any time because you still are dealing with that. And if I can add, not to throw it off in the um, the other end, but how did you leave that pimp to be this, you know, so-called, um, not so-called, but how we how we term the the phrase or the word renegade, how you're sort of on your own and doing against what people thought a pimp and a you know prostitute well, should be like. I what I did was I knew how the lifestyle was because I was turned out by a pimp at a young age. So I was the type that, okay, after a year of him beating on me, I got smart. I said, okay, I might as well go do what he needs to do, make his quota, do what I have to do, find a way out. He got in trouble in California because he beat me so bad in the police thought. So he went to jail for pimping and pandering. From there, he got extradited from there to Portland, Oregon. And then I was still out doing what I was doing, but I was under his control because his mom would call me and, you know, all that stuff. And then we, I got caught up in a sting in King County, which is in L.A., California. But really, they wasn't charging me. What they was was they was holding me in California so I could get extradited back to Portland to be a material witness. At the end of the day, it got to the point where I got tired of it and I started to set him up. I mean, he'd go around telling everybody in Portland, oh, you a snitch, you a snitch. Well, you know what? It's not snitching when my life is in danger. It's not snitching when you're cutting me with a box razor. It's not snitching when I got a stab wound and I'm out here trying to, you know, survive. Beyond surviving, it's not even surviving. It's a life or death situation. If I, it's a death and death situation. If I go see a trick, it's a possibility I could die. Period. If I, if I don't go and and make this pimp's quarter, I could possibly still die. So either way, I was in a catch twenty two. So I said, okay, Jess, I didn't watch Snap in forty eight hours and all these shows as a little girl for no reason. So what I, st- <laughs> I should have been dead at seventeen years old when the trick in Seattle of Pike Highway put a garbage bag over my head but I Jesus. didn't panic I opened it and said boo and he threw me out of the van ran me over and I still have a scar on my ankle till this day from what had happened another time you know being thrown out and guy robbing me and the and, and the pimp come see me at the hospital and he first thing he says not how are you are you okay are you alive are you dead what happened where's my money I gave your money up because my life was in death. And when I tried to call you, you was nowhere there. That's why I came up with certain situations where why are prostitutes dying if the pimp is there to protect? Mm. Where were you? Yep. Mm -hmm. What good is sending the prostitute to go get the money if you can't have her come back? Mm -hmm. Why Mm -hmm. do you need to sell a prostitute, period? You're not selling a prostitute. You're selling humans. That's what you're selling. You're selling a dream. You're selling a story. You're selling a fantasy. You're selling psychological warfare. That's what you're selling. That's what you're pressing. And not everybody gets to a point where they can survive that. And, 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 you know, you just, you were just continuing to experience that and not a lot can just get out in that way. Yeah, no, I, I just, I hear you. Wow. When I had, when I was doing in calls and, and all of that, I will always call it Candyman because it was some black man that was a little bit taller than their door frame and a black trench coat, a black suitcase. Couldn't see his eyes or nothing, had gloves on. I literally heard it in my gut, which I knew now is the spirit of God's voice speaking to me and said, if you open this door, this will be your last breath that you ever take but when you're stuck in that lifestyle even though I dodged that I got into a situation because God didn't want my he didn't want me to live this life that's not what he had for me you know he'll take what had he'll take what was meant for evil and turn it around for his good which he is and he has 
But doing those process, doing those times, doing those trials, doing those tribulations, you're not thinking about God using it for the better. You're thinking about, am I going to make it the next hour, the next second? I tell people, do you know what it's like to live as a prostitute day in, day out? There's 365 days in a year, sometimes 366 of them is a leap year. Every day, all day, all night, prostituting. And you're telling me that I haven't survived the worst of the worst? I lived it for 10 years. The things that men did towards me, the things that people did and degraded me, people that would walk by me and know that I'm covered in blood and bleeding and gushing out and you walk right by me like I'm just nobody because you're looking at me as a prostitute because I'm in an area where girls prostitute at. What about the dignity of the fact that I'm still human? What about the fact that this girl is bloody? Let me help her out. What's going on? No, you want to treat me like some scumbag or dirt off of the bottom of your shoe. And it got to the point where I started to hate people when wives would call me because their husband would come cheat on them with me and spend their money. They would call me and I'd be like, you want to know everything? You want to know what's going on? Send me a thousand dollars. Send me fifteen hundred. It got to the point where I didn't care. It got, you know, it got to the point where my husband went to jail for the second time and I was out here by myself for real, for real. I, I, I had even girls, you know, I looked at it like this. I convinced girls, come hit licks out of my ink call. Give me, a, give me this and I'll let you mm. use it. And it got to the point where I was even doing it. And I didn't even know I was even pimping on girls, even though I wasn't taking all their money. I was, t- I was taking some. Mm-hmm. We would do two girl shows. I was making so much money to the point where God had to put a stop on it. Others all ended up dead. Jeez. And when my, I had went down to Salem, Oregon, didn't tell my husband because he didn't know that I was calling my dad, asking for help. And it sent me to the rampage. And I went down there trying to go post, even though I was doing so good, not doing it. And a couple months go by, I went and got caught. But my husband was trying to stop me from doing it because he's like, you've got a baby. We've got a kid. You can't be doing this. You're doing good. Don't worry. We'll figure it out. God will take care of us. Just got to trust him. And I'm like, if God, where is he now? If God was this, God was that, God, 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 I wouldn't went through half of the things I went through. You know, that's how I was. I was blaming God. I was blaming everything else instead of looking at my own inner self. Was this was this all happening when you, you know, or did you have the revelation to try to get out after you had asked your dad for that money? And he said, I wanted to get out. You know, I told myself I wasn't going to be doing this. I'm not going to be doing this. I'm 40 years old or in my 30s. But I didn't know that God was actually working in it through me without me even knowing it because my husband would plant seeds and would pray and I'd be like, okay, whatever. But something about this man drew me to him. I didn't want to leave. I felt safe. I felt comfortable for once in my life, but at the same token, I still wanted that power and control, you know? So I always tell people, you can't have your cake and eat it. You know, my husband would joke around and say, if I bought it, I can't. And in a way, when you think of about it, you know, you could take it in so many different ways, you know, because when he said that, that reminded me of a trick where they, they buy it, they get to have their cake and eat it, you know? So I was like, well, maybe you can have your cake and eat it too, if you have money and power. So when I went to Salem, I got caught. But the funny part is, is that my husband told me that that day would happen. He had a vision from God and God told, that's why he married me because he God knew that he was going to try to stop me and that they would they took my husband in instead of me my husband went in for my place they labeled him as a prostitute and a pimp and a drug dealer all at once because I had uh, I had his oxycodones in my purse I just went to Walgreens and picked it up for it's not illegal I'm his wife and I was a caregiver at the same time so with that being said, you know, they try to, they, instead of them charging me with prostitution, they really charged him. But then come to find out, they gave me a citation, told me come back to court and I got charged with prostitution. So, you know, ever since then, it never made sense, you know, and it was hard because after that of May 16th of 2014, you know, when the whole situation happened, you know, I became, got charged and my husband was going through that. And, and it was hard on marriage too, because now he blames me for a while. 
a lie and all of this. And eventually I got bold with him and too. be like, well, nobody told you to marry a prostitute. I didn't tell you to marry me. I wasn't looking for marriage. I wasn't this. You could have just left me be as soon as you knew I was a prostitute. Everybody else has what, what would you, what would another person be? You know, that's my mentality. Um, but he still stayed even through the hardship, even through, 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 through the criminal situation, you know, and it was hard because they made him a registrable sex offender. But they're saying that I'm his victim. But then when I call the Marion County Victims Program, they tell me that I can no longer contact them anymore unless I have an attorney and that they're not providing me services. But you guys labeled me as a vulnerable victim to my husband. How? So now when I hear human trafficking and criminal things, I always tell people, well, if the pimp has to be registered as a sex offender, why doesn't the trick? I was 16, 17 years old when a trick was having his way with me. Isn't that committing mm -hmm. a sexual crime on a child? Why do tricks get away so get away with this so bad? If you don't have a trick tricking with the prostitute, it's going to be hard for a prostitute to give her money to a pimp. It's a cycle. Don't people see that? Just like we have an ecosystem, a food chain. It's the same thing in the underworld. You, you have a trick that tricks with the prostitute and the prostitute nine times out of 10 is going to have a pimp because she's believing the lies and the fantasy that he's telling her. So if pips have to go to prison, then shouldn't the Johns? Because nine times out of 10, you don't always need a pimp to have a girl prostitute. A trick can turn out a prostitute a trick can turn out a stripper into becoming a prostitute because he flashes large sum of money. I've seen it. I've seen it all, you know, and and I just sit here and I tell people, well, you guys need to break down human trafficking, break it all down. Because you guys focus on children that's being exploited. But what about those children that grow up and become adults and still stuck in that lifestyle? What about those people? What about if they don't have the support from family? Obviously, I didn't have family support. I didn't have the city support, the community support. I didn't even have legal support. I was used for a criminal case and shoved right back to the wolves. I didn't get treatment. I didn't see counselor. I didn't see nothing. had happened that's when God made it to where I was homeless I was homeless with a one-year-old and that's when I had to humble myself and go to the food stamps welfare to get food stamps and live on cash assistance I live on welfare for five years because God didn't want me to get stuck and trapped into that lifestyle of prostitution. He needed to renew my mind and transform me. But I didn't know that this was going on, the transformation. I couldn't understand why I was no longer prostituting. I couldn't understand why I couldn't make any money. I couldn't understand how I lost everything when I felt like I was on top of the world. My husband was there through it all, even through the homeless, even though I was pregnant with the twins. When I got pregnant with the twins, is when I received my Section 8. And once I received that, it was like when I received the vouchers, it was like God spoke to me and said, all those times you made fun of girls that was on welfare in Section 8, now who's on welfare in Section 8? And I said, mm. And it was a humbling experience but it was hard pill to swallow too. I'd hear, at the time I wouldn't know there was God's voice, but eventually it, it came to the point where I felt like I was so broken, so damaged, so shattered from the lifestyle that my mind was just so far gone that I wasn't even sure if I was really listening to God. I just kept calling my intuition, my gut feeling, but now I know it's God. When I had the twins, I wanted I needed a break. I wanted to go to my friend's house. But at that time, you know, things was happening. 
August 17th, you know, I heard Matthew chapter six, verse 33. And I was like, oh no, we're not going to the Bible. No way. I opened it because I wanted to know what that scripture said. And I didn't quite understand that first. And then I started reading my Bible a little bit more. And then I go to my friend's house. Well, at least I thought I was going to my friend's house. Like I said, I thought I was going to my friend's house to get a break because I was just so exhausted from the twins. But I get off of public transportation and I go to Fred Myers because the Lord told me, get off. And I'm like, get off, get off. I need you to go into the store and grab your twins' milk. And this was October 12th of 2018. And I said to myself, I only have $60 on my food stamp card. Not even knowing that God could hear me. I'm talking to myself, at least I thought I was. But God says, trust me. And I said, huh? He said, trust me, I'll provide. Now, this is when <clears throat> this is when the carnal, wicked way of Jessica thinks she could test and be powerful. I laugh at it now because I know God was laughing when I said this. And I said, you want me to trust you? How are you going to provide? I can't see you, touch you, call you. I don't know if you're real. And you want me to do what? Trust me. I said, there you go again with this trust word. I don't trust anybody. I don't even think I trust myself right now. I'm talking and people are looking at me because they don't see who I'm talking to because I'm really, you can literally hear me talk. Like you'll hear me talk and then I'll stop and then I'll answer. So it looks, makes it look like I'm schizophrenia. And I knew that's what people was looking at me like this girl's talking to herself and she's got kids. Oh my gosh, you know, it's like I could feel what they're thinking, but then I'm still in a strong conversation with God. Well, I didn't know it was God, you know, but I could hear the voice. And God said, just trust me, I'll provide. I said, okay, look, let's make a deal. Like, I'm really going to make a deal with God. <laughs> I laugh about it now, <laughs> but <laughs> we have to remember. God, he created all of us. So he knows how we think, how we feel. He knows how to get through to us. And that's what makes it so incredible because even though I'm thinking I'm making a deal with God, God is chuckling like, uh-huh, go ahead, come on, spit it out. Come on, I know what's gonna happen. And I'm sitting there going, okay, look, I do not want to hear Sally, Jesse, or Raphael's testimony anymore. If you're real, God, prove it to me. Prove it to Jessica. Just, just make it real. He said, okay, go into the store and get your twins milk and I'll provide. Trust me. Um, of course, I didn't quite like the answer because it didn't quite give me a yes or a no. So I was like, ah. But just like you could feel his spirit pushing me. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, now I'm thinking out loud, not knowing that God can still hear me. I'm like, I think I'm going crazy. I think this lifestyle has damaged me. I'm losing my mind. I'm talking to people. I don't even know if I'm talking to, but I still go do, I still be obedient to what God said to do. And I go in there and I grab these milk and I'm just like, what am I doing? I got kids now. Like, man, I'm just confused. I grab these three cans of milk. It's October 12th, 2018. And I'm like, okay, I only have 60 bucks on my food stamp card. He said he'll provide and he'll trust him. So there was a grandma lady in front of me of the line and a lady about in her mid, late 30s, early 40s. And of course, the talk is because of the twins. How old are they? They look so cute, blase, blase, have small talk. And the old lady in front of me said, blessings to you i'm not a believer yet i haven't come to christ yet fully and I'm, mm. blessings to me okay yeah sure whatever you know that's my mentality that's my attitude i'm very cold-hearted at this point and so now i'm like man i pull up it's my turn to pay for the milk and the lady says here you go and i said i don't have to pay she says nope i said shut up why she said, that's why the lady said blessings to you. She paid it for you. 
And I remember the conversation that God said. He didn't say how he will provide, but he provided for me. And that small seed of faith led me to being filled. Fire flamed in my bones. It shuddered. Like I felt my body warming. I sweated. I was all these emotions I've never felt. And I still can't explain it in words till this day. But I know the minute I grabbed that bag, God's presence was there. I never felt it before, but I felt it. And I can, ever since that day, I continuously to feel his presence. Um, wow. That's the day. Wow, Jessica. I, that's the day. When I knew God was there, because the lady behind me says, I don't know what's going on. She said, I do not know what's going on, but I can feel every single hair in my body jump, stand up. I don't, I can't even explain it. And I just had to go say hi, say goodbye to this lady and come to find out. She said, Jesus wants me to tell you something. And I said, me? She said, yeah. I said, what? She said, he wants me to tell you that he loves you and don't stop doing what you're doing. The only thing that I was doing at that time, Victoria, was reading my Bible. The New Living Translation. I read that Bible and I continue to read it. But since that day, I was never the same. I felt like I could run up and down Mount Everest seven times and not get hypothermia, frostbite, nothing. That's how empowered I felt. And then from that form, I was delivered. And then December 1st of that year, I got baptized and had 12 demons lifted from my spirit. And then when I met with this pastor who continues to pastoral me, he had a couple, he had to help me get released a couple more demons that was deep down inside of me that was trying to hold on. I had lights turning on and off, showers turning on and off, stoves turning on and off because the spirits was leading me. Light in the darkness. There was light in my darkness now. And from that day forward, I pressed in the word. I stayed in the word. I was being delivered from prostitution and God gave me a hashtag prostitution to Christitution. And that's also going to be the name of my book that I'm in a process of writing as the Lord slowly gives me the words and wisdom and knowledge to write it because it's not so much about my story. It's about uprooting the sinful generational curses. I was only a prostitute because the sexual morality for my mom and my dad's side. When I got in contact with my biological mother, she told me, why don't you come to Japan? You'll make a whole lot more here. And I said, wow, my own mother. So either way, I was still doomed. I would have been a prostitute either in America or a geisha girl in Japan. And I said, wow. I said, but you know what, Lord? You are God. You made it real to me. I have no choice but to stand on my word. And that's to follow you. And he's cleaned me up. He's purified me. And he continues to refine me through the fire. He continues to bless me. Come on. I know why I have a girl now. Yeah, I get nervous because it's a girl. I don't want her to go through the same things I went through. But God let me know that it's done. It's finished. He gives me verses to keep me motivated. Train up a child in the way they should go. As they grow old, they shall not depart. So I have to be that role model and plant the seed. She's going to be bold. God's giving me certain things about her already. But he's allowing me to be blessed. You know, I tell people all the time, I said, this girl is different. This girl is anointing. She will know Bible verses and scriptures before even reading the Bible. And that's because her mama reads the word out loud and is in worship and peace. Like she's moving right now because I get to talking about the Lord. <laughs> yes, she is. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. 
This is this is so empowering, Jessica, because it just really explains the journey, even on the religious end, because I don't have a lot of those who want or feel comfortable talking about it. They might say a few things, but, um, you know, not to this extent. So I thank you so much for braving through that, because we all have faced that non-believing part of our life until it was shown to us until I know there was one episode where we had um, a previous survivor mentioned that she was she heard she had the trust and when she heard out of nowhere that's when it just really changed her life so these are surviving testimonies or thriving testimonies or those experiences that we can say we overcame and I thank you for putting that into into this context Hey, it's Victoria. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. Thank you for being a part of hearing and listening to voices that were often unheard, underrepresented, and feeling as though their stories weren't seen, heard, or believed. And I hope that you stay tuned for another episode as we will bring you weekly episodes released on Fridays of survival stories, controversial conversations, and coverage of stories that never really make it to headlines. And if you haven't yet, check out season one. All right, check y'all back for next Friday, Unseen the Traffic Truth Podcast.